This is episode number 16 of the Design of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth. Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. So last week I was up in Cambridge, Massachusetts and I met up with one of the city's planning administrators, Amy Winter, to talk about public housing. To be totally honest with you, I was initially thinking, okay, this could potentially be a snooze fest of a topic, but Amy is a fun and engaging person to talk to, so maybe I'll learn something. Now, when most people think about public housing, they envision the failed high-rise apartment buildings that were constructed in the 1950s and 60s. Those evolved into ghettos and slums. They picture the Bronx burning in the 1970s. And a lot of those poorly managed housing projects that weren't burned to the ground eventually were demolished. They were total failures. Amy, however is determined to not repeat the failures of the past. Through community outreach and innovative creative approaches, she and her colleagues are attempting to change the stigma around low-income housing. This is my conversation with Amy Winter about the design of public housing. My name is Amy Winter. I'm a planning administrator for the Cambridge Housing Authority in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, which means what? Well, I make plans for housing developments, which are affordable, low-income housing properties that the city of Cambridge owns. And our department within the housing authority, which is planning development, is um, specifically charged with essentially finding money for big capital projects to maintain the housing stock that we have. Okay, so you're not doing new development. I mean, we would love to, but there's not as many opportunities for that in a highly developed city like Cambridge. It's okay. also very expensive. So. And your main focus is low-income housing specifically. Yeah, some some properties we've... I mean, we actually haven't really done this a lot in the past but I mean I think even people without housing knowledge know that it's really expensive to buy a house these days so especially in a city (laughs) right especially in a high demand city like Cambridge outside of Boston so you know it's really hard to make the development project work using we use tax credits to subsidize the affordable housing Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of like the go-to program in the country right now for building affordable housing. Is that tax credits like vouchers or is that something different? So tax credits are the program. It's run through the IRS, Mm -hmm. um, which essentially encourages. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to rewind a little bit. Here's your um, housing history lesson 101 um, for (laughs) layman. I mean, public housing as a concept started, you know, after the war giving, homes to people, you know, of course, temporarily until they got their their feet back up. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really ever envisioned as it is today as, you know, a large percent of our population just can't seem to get out of, you know, low-income housing. So back then, public housing was 
you know, thought of as a real investment in communities and people were really excited about it. The federal government was all about paying for it. Yeah. Um, over the years, obviously, there's a very negative connotation with public yeah, housing. Needs a new branding. Yeah, sure does. I wish I had time to think about that. <laughs> so, you know, people really don't want to invest in, uh, you know, affordable housing. And why would they when they can make a ton more money? Developers can make a lot more money putting up luxury condos right. and, and the like. And especially in places, again, like Cambridge, where... I mean, there's great demand for th- that type of housing. Why would you ever do affordable? Why would you? I would, that's that's my first question. Why well, is public housing important? <laughs> well, it, so hang on. Let me finish the tax credit history oh, for just one more second. Sure. Then I will tell you why it's super important. <laughs> well, I put everyone to sleep. So basically, because the it, you know funding low-income housing got out of favor uh, re- until recently, and I think it was in the 80s, they finally figured out a way to you know, not like line item every year fund public housing, but put mm-hmm. the funding on the, the private sector to come up with the difference. So essentially sure. the IRS offers developers a tax abatement. Right. So, um, and now as part of um, the CRA, now all the banks after the crash. They no one knows what a CRA is. After the housing crash, yeah, a lot of big banks that were the bad guys now are required to invest in their local communities and make loans to people they would normally kind of look past and not give a loan to. Okay. So to, so to meet that obligation, they can buy these tax credits, which then go into these, these neighborhoods where they need to be investing their money. Right. It's essentially creating demand where there was none before. So that's a good thing. It's time to thank our sponsors this week. Do you live in a flammable structure? Do you care about your loved ones? Maybe you don't have loved ones, but you own a lot of cool stuff. If any of these apply to you the next time you're in your local hardware store, reach for smoke detectors. Smoke detectors have been the first line of defense in fire safety and prevention for over 100 years. And with a wide variety of designs and alarms available, you can audibly let your neighbors know the next time you burn a grilled cheese or some toast. Pick one up today, smoke detectors. I mean, so there's kind of a few different ways you can sneak in affordable housing. Our focus being a housing authority is primarily on low income, but we sometimes use what we call market units Mm -hmm. to kind of sweeten the deal other developers it would be kind of the reverse that's a lot of like if anyone's ever heard of inclusionary zoning the idea there is the city or the municipality whoever it is says for every developer that comes in we want 15 percent of the units to be affordable right and that's just a requirement okay so but what we're doing as the affordable agency in the city is we're saying we're only doing affordable but if we can't make the numbers work because that's obviously really difficult mm-hmm. um, then we can throw on some market or what we call like workforce housing which is higher than affordable but lower than market and that's to for the deal. policemen firemen teachers right. that sort of housing. people who definitely can no longer afford to live in a city like Cambridge right so again our focus is more on that end versus the other but there's all different kinds of ways to try to squeeze in some affordable units Okay, so the podcast is about creativity. Yeah. How do you get people to care? <laughs> well, um, other than saying, "Well, we have zoning and we're forcing you." Yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, it's it's pretty great doing business here. I feel bad for. I mean, I'm from, as you know, a 
little wonderful town called Buffalo, New York. And um, there, there's not really the, you know, there's no demand for, uh, well, sorry, now people from Buffalo are going to be hating on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, got a lot of listeners in Buffalo. <laughs> we do, I'm, I'm sure we do. Um, so, you know, there it's, you know, we don't have, the market is just very different. And obviously this works better in, in a strong market. So here we can get away with it because we have something people want. We have a great city with mm-hmm. really good jobs, great location. You know, we're able to, um, God damn, what was your original question? My original question was, how do you make people care? Oh, okay, right, yes. <laughs> so so here I think even people of moderate means understand that the housing housing cost is ridiculous here. I, right. I have a friend, a coworker, who literally just today, her offer was accepted on a home, and it, it was almost a million dollar, I mean, a really small house, like, you know, 30 minutes outside the city, and mm-hmm. we were lamenting, I mean, she grew up in a, outside of Seattle, but like a good distance outside. So it was pretty affordable. Mm -hmm. And we were saying what we could get in our respective hometowns for that amount of money. So I think even the, you know, even people who have the means here think it's absolutely insane. I don't think it's hard in a city like Cambridge to, to get people on board and say, yeah, we need, we need low income housing. And also one of the things that Cambridge really prides itself on is its diversity of people and cultures. And you can't really say that and then not provide different types of housing. (laughs) You'd be a liar because. um, And no one, no one will (laughs) live as a liar. (laughs) They won't stand for it. So, you know, we, we call this the people's Republic in Cambridge. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of really passionate, you know, resident organizations and advocates in the city who, I mean, this is a big issue for them in a lot of communities outside Boston and, you know, New York, all the, all the high demand cities right. where housing costs have just gone through the roof. How do you reach out to those advocates or wh- what is your relationship with them? We have a, a, a online presence. Like everything we do is, is on our website. We're called a moving to work agency, which we've kind of proven over the years that we know how to do business pretty well. Mm-hmm. So HUD has removed some of the bureaucratic processes that other housing authorities have to adhere to. So we have a little bit more freedom and creativity in how we do our work. So we've really engaged with a lot of agencies that we might not have been able to otherwise to kind of make the deals work. Like we have a lot of nonprofit partners that other agencies aren't able to work with. We have a really good working relationship with the city. Every public meeting I have, there's a whole list of people that I have to invite that, and they do come. They, you know, they're really interested and care about what's happening. You know, we have a really, I mean, it sounds silly, but just like the local, the news reporters are on our issues immediately. There's a, a really big housing publication called um, Wayne Sherwood Associates, and he puts out housing news for all over the country, and, and we're in there, you know, constantly because we're kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of these programs. So okay. our, our director also, who just retired, was part of CHAPA. Which, no, I'm saying that wrong. Whatever the acronym is. But he was, um, you know, kind of uh, really involved in the national advocacy and was in D.C. a lot. Mm-hmm. So we definitely benefited from that. And, um, and also... There's some negatives with a lot of attention, too. There's a lot of eyes on us. So right. right now with the current administration, we're having to retract some of our vouchers. The bulk of what I work on is the brick and mortar, like the actual units in the city that we have. That are existing. That are existing or new, potentially oh, new okay. units. But we also have mobile vouchers, which people can take to other communities. Oh. And um, so that's, the, that's kind of the two ways of getting affordable housing in this country. You either get in a unit or you get a voucher and you can take that anywhere. I mean, we think there's a lot of value in both 
things, but obviously in Cambridge, we want to hang on to those units because if we don't, they're never coming back. Okay. So They're never coming back. You know, it's hard to know with this market when it's going to stop, but, I mean, we've got two of the best universities in the world within a mile from each other, so you got to imagine that I just don't see Harvard going down the shitter. The nerds are going to come every (laughs) year. Yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately for the people i mean it's just you grew up here right you didn't uh, maybe your family predates harvard you know like what if this is just where okay you know what i'm saying predates so, harvard well that'd be that's a come long on, time come on amy <laughs> that's like the 1600s <laughs> are you just lying to me all i'm saying is it's you know the people who've been here for a long time right they it sucks for them that their city is so cool that they can't afford it anymore say you have someone in affordable housing because they have a lower income mm-hmm. but then they're in this unaffordable neighborhood the groceries are more expensive the yeah. restaurants bar i mean they shouldn't be going to bars and restaurants they should be saving their money but just the cost of that's living a very republican comment <laughs> Kyle, but i'll let that slide <laughs> no that's fiscal uh <laughs> intelligence um, <laughs> so we should tell all the low-income people how to spend their money but not People who have money, how to spend their no, money. No, people who have money should save, too. <laughs> okay. Then you won't get a mortgage crisis. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to indulge for a moment. Everybody should be saving. Yes. My point is. We have programs for that. <laughs> okay. Our FSS program. Would you like me to tell me? <laughs> now I'll jump off the building if you start <laughs> telling me about your FSS program. <laughs> I don't know a lot about it. But <laughs> it helps families save. Our resident services do that. Okay. But you will <laughs> admit that. Uh, the cost of living sure. is still at a upper end. Yeah, and you know, there's kind of, there's actually a lot of research being done about this. There's, I mean, these are like things we're thinking about now, right? Mm-hmm. The voucher experiment has really only been happening for the last twenty, thirty years. Right. Public housing has existed for much longer. There's kind of two schools of thought. I mean, this is what we talked about when I was in planning school. I mean, is it better to give everybody a voucher or? Is it better to put everybody in housing? In a lot of these public housing developments, you're essentially concentrating poverty. Yeah, it's and it's segregation. Right, so. exactly. So, I mean, there's some pos- negatives there, but it might be cheaper for them, right? So you can live in a community you can afford. Right. But then you're kind of like reinforcing these ghettos that we've, I mean, there was like some slum clearance in the 50s or 60s. I mean, it's just, it's just a very negative history with that in this country. Sure. Vouchers are tricky too, because we thought, you know, for a while, that was the answer. Like, give someone a voucher, their lives are going to be—they're going to be in better school districts. The results are kind of mixed, actually. There's some reports coming out now that where they did an experiment. I think it was a 10-year time frame when they gave someone—it was focused on youth—and then they followed them through high school and wanted to see what their results were if they, mm-hmm. you know, had moved out of public housing, if they were in um, college, like kind of where they were. And it wasn't as great as people were hoping. But, yeah. you know, it's it, there's just so many factors that go into these things. So it's kind of hard. I mean, housing is one really important way for people to get out of housing. But so so is job creation. Wait, what so, do you mean to get out of housing? Well, to get stabilized so that you can focus on other things. If, oh, you, if okay. you have um, right. housing that is safe and affordable and secure and all those things, you know, that kind of frees you up to focus on finding a better job or going to school. I Um, was going to say, I I guess living in a nicer neighborhood, you're probably going to find a better job in that neighborhood that eventually... Right, or you might be closer to better jobs. Right. 
but then you might not have a car to get you there. You might be stuck out in some bougie suburb and not have a way to get around. Whereas in the city, you relied on the bus system or the train system. Sadly, the answer is it's really mixed. I think yeah. I think it really depends on the family. It depends on the city. Each city needs to be strategic about what they prioritize. You know, I think in Cambridge, we try to do both. And again, there's just much, much more research and creative thinking that needs to, to go into this topic. There's yeah a lot of work to be done. Well, I'd be curious <coughs> also about if having uh, lower income people mixed with mm-hmm. people who are higher income, if that helps them also create a better network just in their life and it's yeah. it's giving them access to a network of people that they normally wouldn't right. be around. Yeah, and that was kind of, I think, the thought behind these studies was that would happen, right? But... I think the thing that people don't kind of underestimate is, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of these these families did move to great neighborhoods, but they were kind of always still outsiders. They Isolated. were never really embraced by the community. Right. They just missed the comforts of their friends and family that yeah. was their support system. And they ended up, when given the opportunity, moving back to where they came from. Because, I mean, it, it's just like all of us, regardless of our income, if you're pulled out of your natural surroundings and place somewhere where you have no friends, no family, (laughs) it's going to be harder. Right. And I think especially in my experience, those families that are, you know, really stressed and strained, they really rely on each other to get through that. So I think in a lot of cases um, it doesn't work because they don't have people around them that they feel like they can relate to that have gone through their struggles. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it works sometimes. Again, I think it depends on the, the right family that's really, freaking motivated to make it work but i think it's really hard have you guys experimented with different programs to try to make that sense of community um or create that sense of community we're, we're kind of unfortunately with the vouchers we're kind of limited and i mean we're really only cambridge is our home base so we can invest in this community but we can't really invest in other communities other than giving someone the voucher and we do have some partnerships with other housing authorities that where we know a bunch of our vouchers are in their communities. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we've got enough problems kind of here in Cambridge that we can't really, you know, it's kind of tough. You basically hand them a voucher and say, good luck. You're, yeah, you know, that is tough. It is tough. And we actually, I was just looking at a, a PowerPoint earlier. We had our annual meeting and we have vouchers in like 49 out of 50 States or something ridiculous. So people Cambridge does. Yeah. That okay. We, that we That's the mobile voucher. Right. That yeah. we manage and then, you know, they go off. So, you know, obviously it's just hard to, as you can see, just me talking about it, it's a lot of work to, there's a reason <laughs> why we haven't figured out the best way to do this. It's well, a lot of administration here. How do you not <laughs> get cynical? I mean, yeah, it's, it's very easy to do so. But I think you, you know, as long as you connect with a few families and you feel like you're helping a few people, yeah, you're not always going to help everybody. We want to improve people's lives. We want to make them better people. We want to help them on their way to whatever it is that they're trying to do, save money, financially go to college, get out of whatever they need to do. And um, some people just don't want that help. Right. But if we don't help them, who's going to, I mean, they're going to, we also have a homelessness. You've got to try. Right. We have a huge homelessness um, problem in this country. So I'd rather have those people in our housing than on the streets because then that creates another problem. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. You know, the people that come to my meetings are usually, uh, you know, I don't get, I typically don't get the residents that are like, Amy, you're doing such a great job. (laughs) Thanks for doing all this work. You know, you get people who are pissed off about whatever it is and they've got really hard things going on in their life and they just want a platform to yell at you about whatever it is. And 
you know, I'm just constantly reminded how lucky I am. And at least, I mean, I can barely afford my life here, but I can afford it. <laughs> you, need, <laughs> you need housing. <laughs> I don't qualify. Um, so, you know, my actually, my John, John Woods, my old boss, told me that the day I started. He's like, he has a really thick Med, Medford accent. Uh-huh. Boss. He's like, we can pay you this. Or you can take a twenty thousand. <laughs> I can't keep doing it. You can take a <laughs> no, twenty. Dig in, do it. You can take a twenty thousand dollar pay cut and live here. That's <laughs> what he said, basically. And I was like, I'll take my job. But no, it's 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 really ridiculous. The cost of living. Can you is. do the rest of the podcast? <laughs> I can't even. I couldn't even finish that <laughs> sentence. Okay. Well, when I talked to um, some community organizers, they said Wait, the, they were in New York. They were in D.C. D.C. They said something that they utilize is people's anger Mm. to see change happen. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that anger is coming directly (laughs) at you. Well, they're they're more the organizers of peoples. We're who the organizers of peoples are going against. Of course. But (laughs) I thought you were working with nonprofits and working. Right. And I don't want to say it's we're not foes by any means but they're usually fighting for things that they think are really important and we've we're fighting for things that we think are really important yeah I mean, and i think that's where some of the creativity where it's supposed to be in a design topic here creativity for me comes in is you're trying to balance so many different interests you know i've got the funders who like this is what you've got for your budget and this is what we have to do and mm-hmm. then you've got the design team that sees these solutions that you know from past experience are or not going to work. You've got the residents who want certain things. You've got the management who wants another thing. I mean, there's just so many people who've got interest in these projects. So it's yeah. really difficult and you have to come up with, I don't want to, like, I hate to say I'm a salesman, but you have to really sell what you really believe is the best product that will kind of meet everyone's needs and right. not meet their needs a little bit, but it'll be enough that it'll be a, a positive um, change from whatever it was before. That's Can really, you give really an hard. example where where this all came together? Well, it comes together on every project that I do. I mean, we successfully <laughs> every <laughs> or or where it seemed like the majority of people were pretty satisfied. Yeah, no, we're so I've been working on a lot of really big um, big scale renovation projects. So um, Newtown Court is one, which is the place I was going to meet you earlier. It's a two hundred and sixty eight unit apartment. Um, complex, so pretty large, mm-hmm. <laughs> right in uh, Kendall Square, which is by um, MIT and all the think tanks and all the you yeah. know really expensive, booming part of Cambridge. You know, we really wanted to renovate. I mean, people were really scared. There were a lot of um, articles in the Boston Globe at the time saying that we were going to sell the property and put high-rise condominiums there. And, yeah. You know, so you're constantly just trying to gain people's trust that we're not going to do that. Um, we thought we proved at that point when we ended up spending almost $45 million on a renovation to basically lock it in for another 30 years of affordable housing. Yeah, the whole the whole building is affordable housing. It's several. It's like eight. I think it's eight buildings. Yeah. Oh, eight buildings. Wow. Yeah. Okay. There, there's three story walk ups. Yeah. So it's you know an older kind of Boston type of housing that we charming wouldn't, we wouldn't do anymore. But um, right. Because <laughs> it's uh, all around the site is very dense high rise buildings, and we've got these quaint little brick structures. Yeah. That it's one of the oldest public housing properties in the state of Massachusetts for sure it was built by the Army Corps engineers when the federal government used to build so in like public the housing. 40s then? 30s 30s yeah, okay. super old. yeah it's it's really cool there's the plans are 
are really neat to look at. So yeah, I think we, you know, we tried to prove by doing that work, by keeping the original character. You know, people came up to us and said, when I was growing up, this is how it was. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we tried to stay true with the renovation to the original. For example, they, we had wood floors, which, you know, we wouldn't be putting in properties at this point. New wood floor, right. Right. So we ended up finding a really nice engineered wood product that we put in where we normally probably would have used a tile product. And that was to address the residents, you know, really want for the original kind of wood look. What Um, happened to the original wood floors? um, They were sinking. (laughs) They were were in desperate need of (laughs) replacement. Structural issues. Yeah. And we have um, the laundries are in a closet off that room. So when there was flooding, it would go onto the floors. It was, they were just there was no hope in, in right. refurbishing those. So, gotcha. so that's kind of an example of where we were able to do something a little bit more than we would normally to kind of meet the demand. And in general, I think the units turned out really nice. I mean, they're not brand new construction, so they're mm-hmm. still a little bit quirky. But we did a big open house. The first, it's o- the project's almost done. It's finishing completion this year. But the first year when we had, we're doing it a doorway at a time because the site is occupied during construction. Oh, okay. Which is really fun. That's a hurdle. Yeah. We don't have some place to put 265 (laughs) families. So unfortunately on a lot of um, projects, we have to do a really long phasing, which stretches out the duration and cost, unfortunately. But we literally have nowhere to put 300 families. So when we turned over the first doorway, so we're doing like eight units at a time, we did a big open house. and, And yeah, in general, people were like, Oh my gosh, I love this is beautiful. Thank you so much. You know, but then you always get the people who are like, "Oh, this is smaller and you didn't, you know, you said you were going to do this and that's not really what you did and you know, but yeah. <laughs> you can't win them all. <laughs> you can't win them I all. I feel like that's just a Boston <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah, I you just if you had an ego, you probably couldn't have my job because I'm constantly being yelled at. But, okay, well that's um, something I wanted to talk about is what type of mentality and personality? <laughs> Why I, I just, it? I still don't know. I've been here for three years. <laughs> well, well, surely something must have drawn you to. Yeah. You went to uh, Penn State for landscape architecture, right? That's correct. <laughs> I saw you there. Right. And th- but then after working for what, four years or mm-hmm. so, you went back to grad school for planning. Yeah. And so something drew you to this. Yeah, I think straight design was interesting. But as Kyle, as you know, I was a pretty shitty designer. I liked the... I would never <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> I was mediocre at best. You know, I just, I liked the process of design. But I, like, the design thing wasn't, I don't know. I, I found, like, I spent more of my time in, like, the analysis piece or kind of analyzing other people's designs that's kind of okay. what i was found more interesting versus yeah. the design itself sometimes it just seemed arbitrary and design didn't really do it for me i guess as me as the creative individual mm-hmm. but then when i was doing planning work in dc we i was doing much more like high level planning master planning where you're you know thinking 30 years out but then essentially that book gets shelved if someone doesn't want to implement it and yeah. all your work is who knows? I mean, for nothing. Right. Well, it was a lot of money for us. But yeah. uh, the, being a consultant was a pretty sweet gig. But it just, you know, I wasn't getting, I, I guess I realized that I was someone who wanted to be more on the ground and seeing my the fruits of my labor. Mm-hmm. So um, when I went to planning school, I was really open-minded about what type of, pla- I mean, there's so many types of planning. There's transportation planning. I mean, I'm doing housing planning. 
there's more, you know, economic development, environmental planning, et cetera. But I was drawn to community development, which is essentially more focused on affordable and mixed use and, you know, kind of reworking the existing fabric of most of the time it's in cities or in just kind of a a new vision for those places. And Mm -hmm. that's what I thought was really interesting. So I got the opportunity to come here and do housing. And it's been a little over three years. When I first started, I was literally helping apply for the funding to get that pro- Newtown Court, the one I spoke about. Oh, and um, and I've it's I've literally will see it through by the end of the year, which is incredible. That's great. I mean, not many people get. I mean, it, that was a very expedited schedule. We had once we got the approval from HUD, we had to have all the design work done and go out to bid by mm-hmm. the end of the year, and then it was a about a three year construction. But I mean, that's that's pretty freaking cool. So that is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> satisfying to see. I mean, like I did that. That's. I mean, I will be able to say that sort of. We gotta. We gotta <laughs> erect a plaque for you or something. I actually. I my Garrett. Who you I got just, a plaque somewhere? No, no. Hang on. It's kind of <laughs> cool though. Garrett, who I passed. We passed in the hall. He's our construction manager. The last time they did a big renovation of this up, um, housing development was, like, in the I think early '80s when I was born there was a time capsule put into one of oh, the, okay. so we pulled it out and it was actually quite boring. There's like a few <laughs> little newspapers and we're going to do better. So an Atari game. <laughs> <laughs> I've been charged with um, working with the city to find some cool stuff to put in the, the time capsule. And we're going to have a, a big grand finished do you party. Need a copy of a podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's see how the editing of this goes first. But okay. So yeah, I mean, it's it's that's pretty cool, and it was you know I think that for me is the draw, and I mean this is definitely not easy work. Sometimes I miss my days of high level pl- master planning where you're kind of removed from the project, um, right? You know, because you're you're really involved in people's lives, and it's really hard. And as I described, I go to really emotional meetings where people have very strong opinions. Um, so some days I think, man, I'm, I'm missing those days, but, <laughs> but you also have a huge impact and it. That's also, that balances it. I think for me, right. I mean, it's not for everybody. You're, you're a people person. I like people sometimes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I, I love people. And that's why for me, design landscape architecture didn't have enough people for me. And I really love that interaction with people. I like being out there, finding out what they want helping them see their vision. Well, the last time I was here uh, visiting you, I we were, I think, at the Metro or something, and a woman came up to you and was like, Amy, how are you? And she yeah. was so excited to see you. And then after she walked away, I was like, what is the connection here? <laughs> are you ju- being judgy? <laughs> well, Did she look... She was a disheveled? little disheveled. No, no, she didn't look disheveled. This is funny. I don't even remember this. It was her and her husband, and uh, she was she was just happy to see me. Happy to see you, but definitely not one of your someone from your peer group. Okay, not not a friend of yours. I hear. You. But it was someone that you had worked with through one of uh, my projects. W- yeah, okay. who was a resident, mm-hmm. I believe, and was yeah. And I think that's. I mean, I live in this community, so the thing is about this type of work, you could get a job in any field, right? If if you're working for affordable housing, you better freaking care about it or else <laughs> what a added stress for no reason. Our mission is serving low-income families. If you don't believe in that mission, then I would assume you would just get a job elsewhere. I mean, we have accountants here who could make a lot more money doing accounting somewhere else. Oh, you know, we have lawyers boy. who could make, et cetera. I mean, planners right. who could, 
have a lot less stress. And so again, I think if you don't believe in this work, then you wouldn't be here. So I think everyone in this building and everyone that we work with and the city is great. I mean, the city really gets it and they're our partner. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think it's nice because I, you know, cause I do live here. I, I'm very lucky to be in the middle income bracket. I would say the struggle is, is real and I feel it, you know, once my rent is paid and all my student loans and you know, all my bills, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not banking a ton of money here, you know? <laughs> right. So I get it. I, I feel like I have a, I'm, I mean, I've only been here for three years, but I, I feel like I understand what this community is trying to do. Yeah. It's real hard though. Cause we've just got this influx of a ton of really well-educated people who make a lot of money and are, can push out the culture that Cambridge has really pride itself in over the years. And if we don't try to do something about that, then we just become a really boring city of white hipsters. And I guess I am one. But uh, you don't like <laughs> artisanal bread? <laughs> I, I won artisanal bread, but do we need 10 on my street? I don't know. I don't think we do. So it's just good. It makes you feel good. I mean, I, it's hard to remember like what my thoughts were about all these things before I did this work. I like to think that it's changed me and opened my mind to um, mm-hmm. the different types of people in my life that I engage with. It's really great work. It's just hard and heavy and not for the faint of heart, I would say. Right, so. right. Well, I'd say... Uh, I mean, I'm not holding someone's heart in my hand, but I'm holding their house. <laughs> wow, sounds pretty powerful. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my friend who's a surgeon always tells me that. He's like, you're not saving people's lives, Amy. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Well, my friend who's a surgeon <laughs> who I had on the podcast, orthopedic surgeon, he said, you're improving quality of life. Yes, that is true. That's what he's doing. And that's oh, what okay. you're doing. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, take it. Tell your friend who's a surgeon to... to <laughs> Go to work pound on sand. Someone. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't get to this question, but... Oh, well. Oh, what well. was it? I'll do it real quick. Well, uh, all right, two more questions. I feel like there's been a stigma on public housing, as we discussed. Uh-huh. Part of that was from the design of the 50s, mm-hmm. where they did all these high-rise ghettos that yeah. they had terrible occupancy, and mm-hmm. they tore them down. What's happening now with the design of public housing? We're trying to design it like every other type of housing. Literally, some of our projects look so nice that we people come up to us and say, hey, can I? where's the list to sign up for those condos? Oh, okay. And we're like, sorry, you don't qualify. So I think our goal, I mean, we spend, I'm not trying to say we're spending luxury dollars. I mean, we're not putting grander countertops in anywhere. Right. But we're designing really well. We're hiring really good designers who get that we want to just be a part of the community and seamless. We don't want to stick out as a yeah. housing. So I think... I think generally, and I can say housing authorities all over the country, the ones that are doing well and doing a good job and creating demand, are doing it just like any other project. They're designing in uh, like the new design thought of today, which yeah. is less dense generally, um, and, you know, unless you're in like New York or somewhere that can support that density. Things that will connect people to their communities, not put them, you know, on a site that's totally removed from transit or shopping or just trying yeah. to infuse them into the community like any other developer would do. It's I mean, that sounds stupid, but that's it. No, that doesn't sound stupid. Okay. That sounds very intelligent. Yeah. Sounds like a good approach. My next question was, what's your overall point of view on public housing? It sounds like oh, you it's just... Oh, it's such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you just answered that <laughs> and make it seamless for the community. But regarding designing the housing to look like... Mm-hmm. 
all the other housing. It's interesting. Just this morning, I talked to the shoe designer at New Balance. They have to make a shoe for the pro athlete down to the sure. high school athlete, essentially. And I asked him how they do that. And he said, sometimes you have two different levels of shoe. Hmm. At different price points, but they look very similar so that high school athlete can feel like yeah. I'm getting the same thing as this yeah. no, I pro think, athlete. I think that's essentially our approach, like I just kind of described. I mean, right. we're not doing granite countertops, but we're doing, you know, other nice things. But I think also a lot of it's just like we all have to fight the stigma. Ben Carson, our new wonderful housing secretary... I'm yeah. being really facetious. Of course. Um, has had a ton of quotes where he's been traveling the country looking at a bunch of units and has been criticizing some that like that looks too nice or too comfortable. They'll stay there forever. And it's like, y- you know, uh, what would you rather? Would you rather us build these ghettos? And then that, you know, so I think there's a right. fine line um, between, uh, you know, making something that the community is going to think we're not spending our money wisely um, but also making something that people will be proud of and treat it well. And, you know, so I, but I think we have to fight that stigma. I, I think everyone deserves a nice home. And just because they're low income doesn't mean we should pr- provide them with a bad home. So yeah. I, I think that's I think it's really hard to do, especially in the polarized world that we live in right now. But I think there are a lot of people fighting for like a nice middle ground, which is where I think we'll land. Cool. Well, thanks for doing the podcast, Amy. Okay, cool. Thanks, Kyle. This is a ton of fun. Tell- <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no. It was fun. All right. That's Amy, and that is the podcast. I hope you guys all learned something. For more updates, videos, and posts, head over to the Design of Everything Facebook page and click around. You can follow me on all social media at Kyle Berseth. Until next week, thanks for tuning in.